Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor and here today we're going to listen to a great career arc with a man by the name of Brian Daly. To be honest, I was a little bit nervous at the start of this podcast as Brian was my first subject that I really didn't know much about until we had this conversation. But what a great conversation it was. Uh, you'll love his career arc. You'll love passion that he talks about at the start of the podcast with regards to his current business that he's set up and why he set it up and how he services his customers. You'll also love the way that he he's just really taken advantage of opportunities that have crossed his path throughout his career and the way that he's weaved into the situations that he's in at the moment. I also love how passionate he is about the creative arts degree that he did and how he believes it's a bit underutilized or disrespected in general. So Please sit back and enjoy our great conversation with Brian Daly. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, specialists in permanent recruitment, labour hire and HR consulting. Start a conversation with us today via our website, hrgroup.com.au or at our socials, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Brian Daly. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Mate, we met at a, um, a conference recently. You were presenting at a digital conference that I went to and uh, I was really fascinated by one question in particular that was posed to you. Does a bear shit in the woods? Let's start there, hey? <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> and the answer to that um, seemingly rhetorical question yep. is that in some cases the answer is actually no. And, um, and we use that... Um, that idea to uh, create a campaign for a, an organisation called Animals Asia and uh, they're based over in China and um, their goal is to um, end the, the farming of, of bears for well, what they call bear bile farming. and where Yes, I remember they were farming the bile for Chinese or, or ancient it, med- medicine That's practices. correct, Eastern medicine. So, um, and it's a practice that's... Um, gone back, you know, thousands of years, in, or you know, a thousand years in using the bile, but the actual farming of it has has happened since about 1970s, 1980s, where they've, before that, they used to just grab these bears from the wild, kill them, and rip their gallbladders out and extract the bile. Then they thought, oh, this would be a better way. We'll cage these wild bears in cages that they can't even turn around in. They'll put metal jackets on to squeeze them out, and they'll sh- shove catheters into their guts to drain this thing. It's, it's incredibly torturous and painful. It's about 10,000 bears in these cages over in Asia and China and Vietnam and a few other places. And, um, and so we were working with the organisation to try and work out a way to yeah, cut through. So, so tell me, how does a marketing business get involved in such a cause? Well, um, at the time I was working at an organisation called Enigma in, in Newcastle, a communications advertising agency. Um, but um, I'd always been um, interested in animal welfare, but my wife actually um, read an article uh, in about 2012, 2013 about this, this practice and this organisation, Animals Asia, and we, we had no idea that it happened. And the awareness level is still very low, especially in Australia and around the world. Um, of this practice in it, we, we sort of thought, this can't be possible, surely, surely. Yeah, surely this doesn't happen today. Surely this doesn't happen today, this mass torture of, of an endangered species. Surely this doesn't happen. And it was, um, and it was quite um, 
uh, horrific to, to kind of comprehend. And, you know, um, my, my partner was up for, for months just... She couldn't sleep hardly because yeah, well, it was just it so impactful. Yep. Um, it was just, just awful. And, and so they were doing a... Um, they, we found out they were doing a, a uh, charity event. Uh, Arj Barker was um, doing a comedy event for them in, in, in Wollongong and the, and the founder, Jill Robinson... Um, the founder of the organisation was there. Um, so so is this organisation Australian? No, it's no. Um, Jill's uh, um, uh, from the UK originally, and she, I think about 1993, she she was a journalist. She did a tour of um, of Bearbov, um, like the, that was one of the stories she stories, was and because and there were in those days it was like a, a tourist thing. They'd get a busload of tourists, and, and one of the stops wow. on the way would see, "Hey, come and try the bear bath and all this sort of stuff." She slipped away and actually went in the back and saw where these bears were kept, and she said this horrible howling and, and this moaning and this pain that, she, and she walked out, and she's and uh, and she's often said how she went over to one cage, and this this bear just reached out to her, and she it's a wild animal, and she not thinking, just grabbed yeah. its paw, and the paw just. She said it just squeezed her hand ever so gently as if to say, please help me get out of here. And from that moment, her life changed. And yep. she said, I knew I had to dedicate my life to do this. And she's absolutely done that. And she formed Animals Asia. And, and that's 20-year anniversaries now. So, she's, okay. you know, and so she's set up uh, a, um, a rescue centre in China. So there's a, a, a sanctuary there for them and a bear rescue centre in Vietnam. It's an amazing, huge organisation um, uh, located uh, their key bases in Hong Kong, and but they have a, an Australian chapter and they have offices all around yep. the world. So uh, yeah, so uh, I went to that gig, um, met her, met um, Anne Lloyd Jones, who's the um, Australian director, and I just gave my card and said, look, if, if you ever you need, need a hand, help, eh? uh, just let us know. You've probably got all this because they're a global organisation and all that sort of stuff, and I thought they've probably got. And they have really big names. On like Arj Barker is a is a supporter, and Ricky Gervais, and um, uh, Peter Egan, uh, um, uh, a whole bunch of celebrities, Libby Newton John, um, yep. Dr. Katrina Warren. You know, it's a really high profile, powerful, powerful people know this organisation and, and do good. So I thought, well, you know, yeah, surely they've got their stuff together, their stuff together, and all that sort of stuff. But they are a charity, and a, and a couple of months later, we got, I got a call from Anne. Uh, the Australian director and said, "Look, we're thinking about doing something here just next year. Could you have a think about? Would you be interested?" I said, "Absolutely." So we just had to think about it for a couple of months, and then we were throwing some ideas around. And, and well, this is the bit that I love. And so I posed the question: Does a bear shit in the woods? And that's and that's you know we were looking at several things. How do we get to people that don't even care about bears, or you know, because bears don't. We don't think of bears. No. That, and we thought, well, that's the only time that people think about bears is when they say this saying, you know. Yep. So it's like, well, is there something around that? And one of the guys just said, well, was there something around the, um, does a bear shit in the woods? And we, I said, yeah, it's like, but it does a bear shit in the woods. They don't because they're caged. That's they right. can't do it. So, and that's kind of um, the iconic thing we think about bears as their natural habitat. That's what they do. That's their behaviour. That's their natural behaviour. And these bears can't express their natural behaviour, obviously. Yeah. And that's the most thing. And we thought, well, that'll be fun, and that'll be... And let's... So, not does a bear shit in the woods, but we turned the campaign to, into let a bear shit in the woods. Uh -huh. and, <laughs> and that was 
it was like uh, taking that familiar phrase but just turning it on, on its head. Yeah. And it, and it so went, where did that go to? Because I remember the presentation went quite big. Yeah, we um, used the word viral. Yeah, yeah, it it, um, it took off really nicely. Um, and yeah, we just had we lined up a whole bunch of celebrities to where we designed a T-shirt and we said, can you just take a picture of your T-shirt with letter bear shit in the woods on it, and post it on Instagram. That was kind of the entire yep, thing that was and the that was the program and it was just like let's you know this, this, we'll raise this and it really um took off and you know we had, had a whole bunch of people Gillian Anderson like she um she was one of the first ones to to tweet and Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses and you know these good ambassadors so we have so momentum. Built, 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 built momentum and then about a month into the campaign it was like Ricky Gervais actually posted and, and Jane Fallon, his his girlfriend, they both posted and it was like went boom through the roof. People knew it everywhere and um, it just took off and um, yeah, we started selling, you know, I don't know, fourteen thousand T shirts or something like that. So the that. sales of the shirts, sales proceeds, the shirts went proceeds went to, the, went to yep. Animals Asia, um, so it supported that. But it was mainly about an, an education campaign, so yeah. to raise the profile. And then after that, it took off on its own and there was a um, Kat Benzover and Sheila Danziger, who are filmmakers and photographers to rock stars, um, decided, oh, let's get a few other people together and we'll do a little video with um, uh, uh, Anthony Kiedis from uh, yep. Red Hot Chili Peppers and um, uh, Matt Sorum at the Zero Think Again, uh, Matt Lucas, the comedian. Um, Moby, yep. um, Ozzy Osbourne, and uh, you know, they Despond. all got in, and that, that was, and that was totally. We didn't have, you know, we didn't initiate that. We just you were started the started the spark with this really simple idea that people just grab held, held grab hold of. They grabbed hold of <laughs> and ran with it, and it was just great. And I think that's the power of a of a good idea, yeah. and and especially in today's world where. You know, people can make it their own. They need to be able to make it their own. The organisation yeah. needs to make it their own rather than the old days, we'll, we'll send out a television commercial and that's it and we get all the money and the glory because we're an advertising agency. It's like, no, you come up with the idea and you get, and that's where the value is to me. It's that initial idea. Everything else is, if that's a great idea, everything else will work out. Yeah, well, that's interesting. So it is a, a new world and we probably should tell everyone that, you know, I posed the question at the start because <laughs> I wanted to explore that um, idea that I, I heard and, and I love that idea at that conference. So tell us about your business and what you do. Um, I run a business called The, Proverb the Proverbials. Um, it's a brand communications, creative brand communications company. Um, it's, it's more a consultancy than an agency. Uh, yep. We don't have all the... So what's the difference? Uh, the difference is that we're very small. We don't have the structure of, an, of a traditional advertising agency. Um, we use a collaborative model where there's only a couple of us that, that actually run the business, but then we bring in all the people we've known yeah, okay. from designers and uh, video producing people and um, you know, writers. So what your needs are, you outsource. Absolutely. And yep. it's, it's more, you know, we bring in as a collective and collaborative approach. It's like a, a Hollywood model where, you, you know, you go to a... The, which is becoming very popular these days and, 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 and more accepted by um, clients. So a Hollywood model working in Newcastle, does that work? Yeah, yep. yeah, absolutely, because you're connected to the local market, but you're also connected globally. So yep. I you know, deal with 
Hong Kong, you know, as, as the client, but we've also got, you know, uh, people in Melbourne that are doing video production. We've got, <laughs> you know, all yep. over the place, uh, Sydney and... And technology must be technology helping is, in that space. Is technology today... I couldn't do what I do yep. without the technology. The, this whole um, collaborative um, and... I, you know, everyone talks about the agile terminology and all this sort of stuff, but it really is true. You can iterate very quickly with people these days, and it's uh, you're not having these big infrastructure costs of the old agencies of the past, where you had to pay so many people and yep. have the big fancy premises and all this sort of stuff. It's um, you can actually do really good work um, more cost effectively, but but also without all those. Uh, overheads and the the pressure that comes with that to, mm -hmm. to funnel money through that pipe. Yeah. No matter what yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, so, and I've chosen deliberately to do this model so we can just concentrate on clients and ideas that we really want to pursue mm. rather than having to we need to take feed on everything. 50 people yep. every week. Yep. Yeah, okay. And so you've seen that change come through your market and your mm -hmm. industry. So, how long has your business been running for? Uh, three and a half years we've yep. been running. So before that, I'd done nearly 20 years in Yeah, so you in came from agencies. the market. Yep. Yeah. So step me through that difference then, the different mentality of a large agency versus what you're doing now and that agility or the nimbleness that you're feeling. Is that the main difference? Yeah. I. Th to me, uh, rising up, like I, I came from, I just fell into advertising from, I'm a musician, that's my background. Well, yeah, we'll get it's, to that later on. I was going to ask you a few questions about that. And so I just rose up the ranks and didn't really know the yep. business all that well and just learned it along the way. And I ended up um, getting a role with, um, yeah, asked to be, take over as creative director of, of Enigma, which was like the largest agency in, in Newcastle and probably still is, I'd say. Yep. Um, uh, and that was, yeah, so, and then so I took over that and loved the role and loved the role. And then the, the higher you get, the less creative you do and ah, the more managerial kind of yeah, aspects so you're, of you're it. managing people. Oh, yeah. yeah, and creative people. So, yeah. and I put myself in a lot of it, <laughs> in, in this lot as well. We're not the easiest people to manage <laughs> yep. because part of the creativity is the challenge and to, to, to speak out and to come up with crazy ideas. So um, there's not like, uh, it's not a, it's not an easy uh, job to say, yeah. here, we'll pin you in this box and this is how you shall act and how <laughs> you should, because you need all sorts of personalities and, you know, um, to, to, to come up with these ideas that can sound crazy, but they're the ones that often are the ones that are, that are great. And if yeah, you well, and you're right. To have time to be able to do that hmm. in a business sense, it must be difficult to manage because you want to get those creative juices flowing, but there's only so much time because it's billable hours or there's yeah. you know, money that needs to be made. But you've also got a customer to serve. That's right. So you know they, they might have time frames or they might have budget restraints or whatever that is. Yep. So yeah, so the, there was there a, or how you manage that became a bit of a frustration, was it? I think so. And I think also seeing how differently the market was running now and having... So is that because of the digital age, absolutely. the social media, absolutely. all that sort of stuff that's absolutely. coming and growing, getting bigger? Well, I got into the agency land in 95. In 96, 97 was the deregulation of the what used to happen was you'd, the you could only book media 
through yeah. an agent. Yep. So I was the same. I worked in recruitment and my recruitment ads went in the paper. That was right. the only place and it was yep. through an agency. And through an agency and the agency got uh, 10% back from the yep. from the media and 7.5% commission fee. So the, so on every dollar, on every $100, you make 17.5%. So... So it was a great wicket. Well, yep. That's why all the excess of the 80s and everything. <laughs> it's like the big advertising dollars. So, so that changed. So that was an initial change when I was first in the market and then the, the, the aligning of media agencies and creative agencies and all that, it sort of separated off and all that. And it seems to coming back a bit around then so everybody can now work together. Hmm. But so, so it was always disrupted from the time I got in there. And then I just saw it getting more and more disrupted as, as it was going on. And I thought there's, and that's when I kind of felt having an attachment to the legacy agency model wasn't really where I saw the industry going. Mm-hmm. And I thought I might give it a go on my yeah, own. Well, step me through that because like you've just said, you, you came from a different background and you were in the agency world for such a long time. Mm. Was it a big decision to go, oh, let's cut the cord and uh, go and do something myself? It was huge. Yeah. And if I could say I was shitting myself because I'd had 20 years of very good wages and knowing that 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 money was in the bank. So what was the drive? What was the real why? Well, the agency was going in a different direction to what I felt it should be. Yep. So I think there was a difference of opinion on... Um, we'd had a, a couple of mergers that had happened that I felt I hadn't had input into. Um, and as, you know, for me, I, I want to feel more than just... If I'm going to be giving myself at that level in, in as a creative director, to me, a creative director and an MD of a company should be driving it. And yep. I felt that um, I didn't have the input into those decisions that... Uh, probably uh, yeah, I okay. felt like I wanted to and that's fine because you know it was wholly 100% owned by the yep. MD so that, that was her decision and, and that's cool um, but uh, I wanted to be part of something you wanted to be a driver the, the driver I, I saw myself as a driver and yep. you know always um, uh, trying to drive business was well, a um, component of it what we talked about before in terms of you have if you look at a work week a, a high percentage of your work week was managing staff people that sort of thing compared to the creative process? Did you want to get back to the creative process I wanted as well? to get more back to the creative process. Yep. I, I found that exciting. And also I wanted to um, um, be able to do things that, more, more things, you know, having worked on, you know, I've worked on RSPCA for like 15 years, mm-hmm. their, their work and working on Animals Asia and things. And, you know, I've sold a lot of cars and all that as well. Yep. I've done all that sort of stuff. But this was something that was really... Um, of great importance to me and uh, more and more interest as I am racking up the years. Yeah. So <laughs> I figure I've got a, I had a smaller, smaller amount of time left to do work that I found um, valuable or important. Mm-hmm. And that was another driver as well. So, and also, the, you know, the, the agency was going in this other direction and I thought, well, they probably need somebody else that's really engaged at that stage. I'd been there for yeah, eight, nine years enough. and I thought, yeah, I've probably, I've 
well, I, I helped build it from like a, uh, I think an $8 million company to a $16 million company. So yep. I figured I'd, I'd done okay and, and got, the, got the work in and, and, and felt like I was, you know, it was really helping to, to build that, yep. that business. And then I thought, well, yeah, it is, is time for somebody hmm. to, to go. It was, it was a difficult decision at the time. Looking back on it now, it was absolutely the right decision and yep. everybody knew it was, and yep. probably more than I knew it was <laughs> at the time. But looking back now, I, I couldn't have driven that place where they needed to go mm. because I didn't have the energy left for the love for that business. Yep. I still loved the work I did, but yeah. I, I yeah, and that's not a reflection of the business, it's a reflection of you. Not at all. It's, it's, mm. it's just, I've always said, you can have two people in the same business yeah. doing exactly the same job at the same, same, same time. One will love it, one will hate it, and it's only, it's down to them. It's, it's where your attitude's at at the time. So, no, it's, and, you know, they've, they're still doing um, really good work, and, you know, they've expanded into Sydney and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, it's, I'd done that for 20 years, yeah. and I thought, yeah, no, I can, I can see myself. It's interesting that you, you mentioned that that fact that you took that decision and it was a tough decision mm. and now three years down the track, it's actually the right decision. Yeah, yeah. Could you have done it earlier? I don't know. I don't, prob- probably. Yep. And I had... Um, so what was the... What was what made it hard? What made it a tough decision? Was it just... Well, fear? earlier... Fear uh, of... Fear. Yep. Fear's the, that's the biggest bogeyman of, of yep. any move I think and uh, and also it was it was life stage as well my daughter in my daughter was in had just about finished third year of uni yep. at that stage and she was doing a, 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 a double degree so she had a couple of years to go but we'd kind of been supporting her and mm. so I had to talk to her and say yeah okay to <laughs> kind of take a little bit more on she's living in Sydney and you know she said yeah I can I still got the job and I'm that's fine we can work that out and all those sorts of things. So uh, it was it was more a, a time of life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I get decisions it. that you know I I probably wouldn't have had the wherewithal to jump out earlier on, and also had a really good transition time. So you know, really great organisation that said I said, well, let let me transition out of here for the next six months, so we don't. Yep. You know, so I had that time. They were great. Um, uh, so, so you don't, we, you we don't really compete directly with them, or you do? I don't think I've... Yeah, because I was going to say, that's a nice transition if you're going to be starting something that's going to be competitive. Most organisations would say, no, good luck, see you later. Yeah, yeah, no, no and they were great. And, and you know, the the, organi- the the clients that I'd brought in, two yep. specific clients that I brought in, RSPCA and Animals Asia... Um, Lisa, the managing director, said, "You take those. Take them. They despite you know them. despite yep. my, you know, and that was there was no reason for That's her to fantastic. do that legally. She was yeah, like, yeah. you know, I had my non-compete and all that sort of stuff. But yep. she said, you take those because they're worried what's important to you and, and all yep. that sort of stuff.' So I was fortunate to have a." really good relationship there well, that, yeah so that and that's that's critical too so would you have jumped if you didn't have those two customers uh yeah yeah still yep. would have still would have yep. um and it would have been a scary as hell but yep. but that that six months gave me time to to build up a bit of a, a war chest to yeah. say that i can you know that gave me time another six months that i wouldn't have had to earn a cent to yep. actually <laughs> to start it <laughs> to start it up and you know i've started and kept it deliberately small and you yep. know we we work from a home office and it's um uh but i still managed to um service the clients really well so yeah, okay. um and keep bringing on project work and ongoing work and things so it's um uh i'm not out to set the world on fire but it's yep. uh but it's i'm 
I'm more interested in doing work that uh, is means something. Um, I, I still do a lot of other things with other, I've built up a lot of contacts over the years and so I'm fortunate there. Um, I haven't pissed off everybody that I've ever worked <laughs> with, so uh, there's some people that are, are still willing to work with me, which is great. <laughs> but it's good so, to you're in an industry where your body of work is so public yeah. that the things that you do are out there. So the, you know, bear shitting in a woods campaign, people yep. see that and you get recogni- recognition for that yep. and then that refers you other work. It's a good good, yeah. good market to be in if you do quality work. Yes, yeah. And, and I've found that like work gets like work as well. So people say, oh, you've had experience in that, we'll get you for that. So, um, you yeah, know, okay. so the animal welfare or the, you know, environmental yep. work and, you know, that sort of area, people can see that I've, I've kind of done that um, non, non, non-profit sort of stuff that... Um, yep. So, uh, so tell me about the name, the proverbials. And I, I was going to ask, this is an audio podcast. Yes. But your business card and yes. your logo. Yes. Describe the logo to the listeners. Um, well, it, the, the logo and the, the name comes from when I was working in advertising early on. Like, You've got to get this to stand out like the proverbials. So the, this, 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 oh, that stands out like the proverbials. <laughs> that, 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 that ad stands out like the proverbials. And the proverbials is obviously... Um, a reference to um, the proverbial dog's balls. Is, yep. um, so basically my my business card is, or the logo icon is... Rear view of a dog. view of a dog <laughs> that is, has not had the snip yet. Yes. So, um, uh, yeah, so, and, that, and also there was... It stands a, out. It's it, great. It does, I remember yeah. handing my card and I'm going, that is a great logo. And, it, and also it's a personal thing for me as well because... Uh, uh, my partner and I, when we first met, we had uh, lots of jokes about the proverbials, and so do you, call, you know, just it just get, went back that way. And was, so there's some nice personal um, uh, background in that as well. So, um, but it, yeah, it was just a nice thing. And like I actually came up with it um, back in 2004. I was, I think, I first yeah, registered the name. It, I was just playing with it when it, I'd been at the other agency, Peach, for about nine years, and I thought I might might just do this just in case I want to go out on my own one day. I'll just do that. <laughs> and yep. so it had an iteration back then that, um, and then I just kept it. And we, um, and then I. This so was do you think that that was? Well, I'm not going to say subconscious, but you you had a plan. You, you mentioned that that's like 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. There was something burning in you to go. I'm going to do this myself one day. Yes. I, I, yeah. I, I think that was always. I've. I've always, I was a self, um, self-employed business person before I came into thing in the music industry. Yep. And so I, I've never really had the idea of being an employee. Mm-hmm. So even when I was an employee, to yep. me, it, this was my business. You this, owned it. My work reflected on me yep. and, and that's what I brought to it. And I, I, I took um, a lot of pride in my own input into that stuff so I never really felt like hey I'm an employee and that's all I'll ever do I always felt like I'm driving my own career I'm driving my own life I'm not just being here being a copywriter I'm contributing to um, what I'm going to do as a creative um, artist I guess in in some sort of role because that's what I was trained for you Mm. know as a musician and creative artist so it's like well this is this is how I'm going to form my career Okay, so let's talk through that. So you started off in, in music, and I, I had a look at your LinkedIn profile, and you were a minstrel. I was. Old Sydney town. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, Did that you was pop any nine uh, lashings? 
Yes, I copped a lashing. Um, I, I was actually on the minstrel staff, so I wasn't uh, involved so much in the um, in the day to day. I wasn't yep. a soldier or a convict or anything. I was a, I was a freeman. I was, yep. I'd, I'd been granted my, my free, <laughs> free status, um, uh, but that was my first gig out of uni, and I'd, I'd gone and done a creative arts degree at Wollongong Uni and that was more in classical and jazz and avant-garde sort of music, all this sort of stuff. And my first gig out of there was playing old Sydney, uh, playing, you know, all these old tunes, you know, Bound for Botany Bay about yep. 10 times a day. <laughs> and so it was a real happener. But I also got introduced to a whole bunch of um, great musos and, you know, lifelong friends from there, and, but also uh, one particular fiddle player who was really into Irish music and Celtic music, and she taught me all these tunes, and it was this whole other area of music that I hadn't had yeah, experience okay. of, and, and, to, and she threw a mandolin at me. I'd never played the mandolin in my life, and she threw it at me, and it just fell under my fingers, and I loved it. I still play that probably more than anything these days, because yep. I was a guitarist. Um, but, you know, I have a lot to thank her on, because I, you know, it's just... Every opportunity you get. I never knew that I'd love Celtic music that much, yep. and I, I do. And it's um, and it, it, I think that's the the surprising thing that you have these really random and these random events that happen in your life that actually you take so much out of that lead yeah. on to other things as well. It's, um, so were you there when it closed? No, no. Yeah, okay, I was only there for about two two and a half years from yep. eighty eight to. 90, mid 90s, uh, uh, mid 90. Um, so it was fun. Uh, the year it closed, my daughter was in year four and we were supposed to go on a excursion down there. So I was I was really excited. Cause well, I still remember it as a kid in that sort of year four, year five, and it was a great trip. It, it was. And, and, and doubly, it was going to be great for me because I could really embarrass my daughter because yeah. I still had the tricorn hat awesome. and all the old uh, clothes. <laughs> so I was really going to you know, do the great dad job of, of embarrassing your kid. So, um, But uh, it was it, we heard there was closing, so we, we took her down the show um, in the January before it closed. Yeah, and, great. Uh, and it was so good to have, have gone back and shown her the sort of place because it was a because it was your start after uni oh that's where you got your was, first door open yeah yeah and you know and when i was there like and that was also we did a we started coming up with these shop songs for all these shopkeepers yeah, okay. like the old broadsides they used to do and they were, it was like the two ronnies or you know it's all double entendre and yep. <laughs> innuendo and all this sort of stuff it's a very strange place. It was it was like going back to the 1970s rather than the 1770s. In some, you know, felt like all that sort of you know the Monty Python esque humour and all that sort of stuff. But we end up on Red Faces on Hey Hey okay. Saturday with this song about Sarah Parry, the seamstress, and um, we won the <laughs> Did night. You get gonged by Red. We got gonged by Red, and uh, but but that was my introduction to television, and I was just loving yeah, it. Okay. I thought this is just amazing you know and meeting Daryl and yep. all these people and the, and just seeing that that whole realm of, of entertainment as well because that was you know that was like a big well, thing well I suppose you're at Old Sydney it's live you're there your audience is right there mm-hmm. um, giving you feedback straight away and that's and even now in my like everything I think you learn everything and it just comes in handy later on yeah absolutely because and it's great I love it that I'm sitting here talking to a guy who owns his own marketing comms business and his first gig out of uni was at Old Sydney Town (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) it is weird it's weird I I always say a career is like 
the opposite of lemony snicket is like a series of fortunate events. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's one thing leads to another, and you build up this um, uh, this repertoire and this of skills that that mm-hmm. you can then utilize and everything. It's like performing to people five days a week, six hours a day was the best thing for my confidence, public yeah. speaking, all that sort of stuff. I have no qualms. And like, I'll go in, a, you know, with, well, I remember going and presenting to, you know, really high-end boards. High-end boards and everyone's, you know, just blank face and nobody's showing any emotion. Well, I just keep plowing through and telling what they're doing and all this sort of stuff. And I come out and people will say, how do you do that? You know, you're not getting any feedback. <laughs> I've played to worse audiences yeah. than that. You know, it's, 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 I, I know why they have to do that. And, and, but it's, it's no impediment. I've played to some terrible audiences and, uh, yeah. and it's all fine. It's, it, you know, you know you, you'll make an impact on the people that you want to and you can only do your best. Yeah, so you transitioned from old Sydney town into a music career is that right yes um from there you know joined bands and duos and you know recorded songs and so what were you playing local gigs big, yeah, yeah what yeah. were you playing i was playing um i went from uh old Sydney town into a band called young guns in the early 90s in newcastle um and we played a mix of you know, covers and um and originals or at least a cat single yep <laughs> <laughs> That's a cassette, guys, uh, for those of you uh, that uh, might yeah, not be Yeah, my daughter's friends. listening to that. I'll have no idea. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that sort of thing was, yeah, it was... Well, even fun. that, like a, a cassette single, so what, your distribution of that, was it at just local music shops or yeah. how were you getting it out there? Yeah, local music shops. Were you selling it at gigs as well? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, doing that stuff, but it was, you know, See, getting a bit of local. Musos today would have none, none of that. Well... It's oh look, it's changed so much the music yeah. industry like that. It was really hard to get in. Our manager um, Steve Pickett was a um, he also owned the Eastern Acoustic Recording Studio, which is now um, EAO Entertainment. So mm-hmm. he runs all that. Um, and so I was just fortunate to we got into that studio and you know he gave us some time and all that sort of stuff. And but that's where again leading one thing leading to another. He was doing a couple of jingle sort of bits and pieces and okay. he said hey do you want to do a bit of this and so I, I did a couple of jingle produced one for the old what's the King Street Hotel used to be called the, yep, castle. the castle so we did one for that and and he couldn't show up he, he was out doing something else he said can you just look after the recording session so I started producing this track <laughs> and I loved it and yeah. I thought Ah, I get what I can do now because I'm just telling all these people this is the harmony, this is what we do, and this is what this is the line, and to play a bit of guitar on it. And I found producing a really natural thing to yep. be able to do, and I loved it. And it was just in the right right spot, hit the spot for me. So, and he came back in. He thought, Ah, oh, it's really good. And so he got me to do a couple more, and then I started writing a couple and all this sort of stuff. And um, and that kind of got me into recording, and then. Um, I actually applied for a job as a copywriter at Peach Advertising and didn't didn't get it at the time, but um, uh, the woman uh, Karen Holburn was the manager there, and she said, "Let me know. You, you haven't got the job, but give me a call if you want any advice." So, so I gave her a call, and she said, "You might want to look into a course at the film school or something like that in Sydney. You know, in in radio or." TV or something like that. So I did a music production course at the film school on her advice. And when 
and that was because I'd come in as a producer, but I didn't know how to twiddle the knobs and yeah. <laughs> all that on an engineering sort of side of things. So I went down and did that. Or I was how halfway long was through that course for. It was only a, it was a one year course, but I only got to do six months of it. I did the first semester of it because as that was finishing, I um, a mate of mine was ending leaving the audio studio at, at Peach Advertising. Who was he was a drummer then a band we were going to get together and he rang me up and said look I can't do the drumming because I'm going to Sydney to work for Channel 10 but there's a job going here in the studio do you want to come in and have a look I said well can I come in and have a look at the studio before you yeah. go because I'm doing this course and he said yeah there could be even be a job here going for you and, and so <laughs> I got in there and one thing so I just just went in and had a look at it and met a few people um, never run a studio in my life never yep. done any of this stuff you know professionally like be the engineer as well as the producer and stuff and um and then he left and a couple of weeks later i got a call said would you like to come in for an interview i went in for an interview it was, i remember the day and the date it was wednesday june 21 1995. wow i went in for an interview at 10 o'clock i came home i got a phone call at midday say i've got the job and i said okay do you want me to start on monday and they said no what are you doing this afternoon so i was in working by four o'clock that afternoon That's so awesome interview got the job started work on that one day my life career path changed forever. absolutely changed from you know uh all i want to be was a pop star yep to then i became a creative director so what do you think about that change was that it was sudden four o'clock yeah but was it sudden did, did you really know that you weren't going to create that path down the down the uh, track of being a pop star or did you still go, oh, I can do that at night or during the day and I can go be a pop star on the weekends and that'll still grow? Well, I'd, having worked in bands and then duos and all that, I thought, oh, this isn't really working, yep. and which is why I did the, the course. course anyway because I thought maybe I'll get a job in a recording studio and I'll be able to record you know, in excess or any of these ones that were around at the time. But that didn't happen and I ended up getting this job instead. So what did you think about that? Because what, what were you doing? What were you creating in the recording studio? Uh, was it mainly jingles? And no, it was, uh, it was voiceover. Voiceover. For, um, yeah, at that stage, that was back in the day, we'd record on a digital then, but I'd still put the, the reel. reel-to-reels out and package them up and send them to radio stations all over Australia. And, you know, 40 reel-to-reel tapes of wow. dubs and stuff. So it was really kind of hands-on. and. So it taught me a lot about um, uh, the, not only the engineering and audio side of things, but also about the business side of things, about where it needs to get to and you know, how the whole industry kind of worked, um, which is great. And that's what I, I really liked about it, because it was a production role that then I started doing creative roles over the top of it, like writing, um, you know, uh, so ad spots. So how did that start? So if you're in the recording studio, so you're, you know, doing voiceovers, getting the reels, sending them out. Mm -hmm. How did you evolve into the, the marketing or the creative side? Um, well, it, when I was at uni, I'd done creative writing as well as my minor subject, as well as music performance um, and a bit of theatre sort of production and all that sort of stuff. So it was all kind of was I was aware of it. And we also had to say, because we're a creative arts degree, so we had to study visual arts and all that sort of stuff as well. I'm not a... a a visual artist or anything but but I never knew what I was what I was being trained for as a creative arts degree it's like shouldn't I just be focusing on music and that should be it um, but when I got into advertising I thought oh, I get it now this is about communicating an emotion or an idea in any art form mm. and that's 
that's how I've taken advertising to be. That's my whole take on it is, is it's about communicating yep. um, just as an artist wants to communicate. So I'd never seen too much of a dif differentiation except our, um, our sponsors were, you know, not the, the, the royalty that would um, sponsor Mozart, but they were the businesses that would sponsor this. <laughs> they want to get their message out and promote yep. this. So, so um, I think that's how I looked at advertising. And so I'd had that creative instinct and I knew I could write music and all that sort of stuff, but I was also good with words. I knew my way around the language pretty well. So, um, and there was only like two writers there at the time. And you know, if, if they were getting swamped or anything, I'd I'd come up with ideas. So I'd just start coming up with ideas and got to work with uh, Kent Woodcock, the creative director, quite closely on developing ideas, and with Kay Brennan, uh, the, my manager there. And so we, there was a nice little team of and supportive team and then our copywriter left and so I was like there was so I just jumped in jumped the role. in took it um, so it was um, so when you did that did you leave the production studio or you eventually both? I was yep, doing eventually. both it was just yeah I was yeah I was before I ended advertising I could probably tell you every gig I'd ever done and almost down to the set list and where they were and all that three weeks into advertising I had no idea what I did yesterday yeah wow it was the volume of work and the intensity of it is something I had never experienced in my life before. And I still feel it today when I go, because I do some collaborations with other large agencies and things, I go into their room and there is a visual, there's a, there's a buzz. Mm. There is just this buzzing around people of activity and headspace and all that, that is unlike anything I've, I've felt anywhere. It's, it's an incredibly intense environment. Yeah, okay. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great, but it's, it's, it's full of crazy people because we just <laughs> love the adrenaline or something. I don't know. It's, 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 it really... What is it? Yeah, is it the end game? Is it, the, is it, the, is it now? Well, back in the old days, it would have been the, the sales or the, the volume or the size of the ad in the paper or whatever. Is it now? Is it, oh, that's gone viral, you beauty? That's, is it the buzz so. of getting the goal or is it the buzz of the creative process? It's all of it, I think. It's just, yep. and I think too, there's there's a lot of anxiety in it because um, because a great idea is worth a million bucks, yep. you know. It's and you don't, but to try and quantify that to people before they before you've developed the idea, hard to do. Is really it's a mind split, you know, because when Ooh. you say it's I'm going to build you this building and it's going to cost you a million dollars because these are the things yeah. and these are the steps these are the people involved this Visualize is the materials this is it. all that they can see it and they say oh yeah that'll take you know the steel's going to cost a hundred thousand blah 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 and but you have an idea and you don't know what hmm. the impact that's going to have until after it's all run and then if it's gone well you think ah oh, that's because of that oh that was great value wasn't it maybe i should have paid more than a thousand bucks for that because that's <laughs> you know, be, and this what always got me about uh, you know filling in timesheets and all that, and say, so well, we'll we'll give you <laughs> give you eight hours to come up with this great idea. Well, you know, you've either got it all or it's a really nothing. interesting it's concept. Value, value is an interesting concept. It's just a crazy way to to, to value ideas is by how many hours it took you. Mm. It just well, makes what about no the sense flip side? So, 
it must be great to come up with fantastic viral campaigns, yep. but what about the ones that don't work? How do they, you know, is there a stress of, oh, I didn't produce for my customer or what what went wrong or how do I improve that one and the learning process? Because yep. there must be a, you know, a, a duality or there must be that sort of yep. ones that work, ones that don't. Yep. I don't think you can ever say, I'm going to make something that's going to go viral. Yeah. It's just that it I think... I've, I've, I've learnt long ago not to, not to count on that expectation because the, there's, there's too much at play that's out of your control. Well, and does that, yeah, because I suppose that's like anything, you'd be setting an expectation up for failure. So you're going, I'm going to produce this for Hunter Recruitment Group and it's going to go through the roof yeah. and when it doesn't, then you're, oh, why didn't that happen yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, no, you, you don't plan for that. You, you, you plan for um, the... <laughs> the minimal achievement that you need to get and then you hopefully imbue it with enough so that it gets it goes further than that mm. uh, that's that's i might sound a bit negative but it's i, I that's it's realistic i think you've got to be realistic and you've got to be realistic about the power of advertising as well like it's it's only going to do so much mm. um, there's no way you can turn a company around just on an ad you've got to turn a company around because the company is turning around internally mm. more than externally. It's about the product, it's about the pricing, it's about your relationship with customers, all those touch points that are far more important than advertising. Mm. Like, and that's, you know, I, I often used to say to say to my boss, I want to do a, I, I want to do a, 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 a presentation about why advertising doesn't work. And this was in an advertising agency. <laughs> she couldn't quite get her head around not. that. But it's it, yeah, why it doesn't, it. you know, because I think that, you know, I. I I'd seen briefs come across, we have to turn this company around and we need an ad campaign for it. And I'm thinking, you don't need an ad campaign. You need to yeah, look it. internally and say, well, what's wrong? And why isn't it working? It's not about people knowing or not. It's when they come in there that they're not getting the service they want, they're not yeah. getting the product they want, they're not getting the value they want. It's, it's those things you've got to fix first. And then I can tell them. So, so really what my main emphasis now is to get that communications right. You've got to get your product right. Yeah, I've seen that in business. I, I call it a funnel. They use advertising to fill the funnel, yeah. but then their poor service means there's lots of leakage down the bottom. That's right. And their solution is we've got to keep filling the funnel yeah. when the reality is they should be stopping the leakage. That's right. And they, what they put out with advertising has to marry with the experience you come back in. Mm. So, you know, um, I think that's an important thing as well. You can't go out and say, hey, we're the most modern, hip, groovy people you've ever seen and you come in and it's, you know, <laughs> it's a bunch of maybe not so modern, groovy people that you're dealing with. You yep. know? It's, so you've got, to, you've got to know that where, you, where, you, where you're playing and, and where the expectation is, but also how to excite people about that as well. So. Yeah. I have a bit of a theory I'll ask you. I, I think with digital or the social media world we're in now, um, it's so much easier for people to produce content mm -hmm. And, but my theory is there's so much content out there that's garbage. Mm -hmm. And so if you can produce something that's slightly better than garbage, yep. you look really, really good. Yep. So is that something that you deal with every day now? Yes. That it's like the, I suppose, the barriers to entry for your world have come down dramatically. Yep. Yeah, it's like photography. You think about that a few yep. years back, it was really expensive to buy a good uh, camera and then to go to school and do it. On Facebook now, everyone's a photographer selling their wares for uh, family photos. So. What about your market? How is that change and changing with, with that in mind? It, it, it's always been there. I think there's a, there's a, 
there's always been an issue, I don't know if it's just in Australia or elsewhere, but an undervaluing of um, creativity and artistic um, production. Uh, I mean monetarily and mm-hmm. and socially and acceptance. Um, I used to, and I grew up in the 70s and I'm a pretty cynical kind of guy and I come from an engineering kind of family and all this sort of stuff and, you know, it was, so come, coming, I, I like have to come out and say I'm an artist. You yeah. Know, I'm, a, I'm a muso. I was about to say, how does, how does the family feel about that when you first go, I'm going to go do a creative arts degree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think, well, originally, because I had a year off before I finished, well, after I finished school, and I'd been accepted into New South Wales Uni to be a landscape architect. And my father owned a, um, a surveying company and my brother took it over as a surveyor and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah. and they said, oh, there'd be a job here for you. And I said, Campbelltown sort of thing. Oh, the last thing I wanted to do was be a yep. landscape architect and live out in Campbelltown. So I thought, oh, no, 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 I won't do that. Um, so, but it's the only thing I could think of at the time. But then I got into the creative arts course because I, I really, I'd always loved music, and all I ever wanted to do was play music and mm-hmm. and, and do all that stuff. I was a, um, so, but and I, I spoke to my brother about it before I spoke to my parents about it, and you know, so they probably think I'm bloody weird and doing all this sort of stuff. And they, and he and it was great. He said, "I think they'd just be happy if you found what you want to do." Mm-hmm. And that was true. I had good support there, so great support. So um, there was no issue there, but. Still in my mind, it was like, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lesser thing. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the fact that I felt like that, I think, was endemic of the society the to say, and it still is. Do you, I was about to say, do you think it still is? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, I, and I used to joke that I was doing a creative arts degree, so it's like an arts degree of an arts degree. <laughs> um, which, and now I, I'm ashamed of myself for, for, for feeling like that because I think, and coming to see what creativity can do for businesses for industry, for countries, for, um, for, and humanity as well. Like, mm. you know, it can have such a huge impact because the creative arts is, is an empathetic yeah. to start with. It's, you know, you, 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 you're driven to, to do, uh, to create a piece of music or art or whatever it might be because you have a drive of an emotion and you want to connect with people, I think. You want to convey that. So. So it's a good thing for humanity, I think, if we learn these things. Um, but also for business, the same skills that come with, say, writing a song or painting a picture is, is the creative or innovation aspect of mm. you know, solving these specific immediate problems in a surprising way. Because so, if you're writing a song, you want to, you know, what's the next chord or what's the next verse or what's, it, you know, what's that? And how do I do it that's different from what's come before? And so if it, you translate those exact same um, processes and mind processes to business and you can cr- do the same thing. You can create better business outcomes. Oh, and there's lots of examples out there about that. So where one business might have had a successful, like, you know, beta yeah. was first and probably better than VHS, but yep. branding... Branding and all that. But, out there. but then just the innovation as well. So it's not mm. just about the creative bit put on it's the creative process from the start of building better apps building better um, business processes or yep. to me that's that's the it's the same process it's, it's the innovation process yeah. and and being able to look at things and and not know where you're going and be comfortable with that until you find where you're going mm. and I think in a lot of more traditional business we're not encouraged to do that we're yeah. encouraged to scared yeah. yeah, we're scared to step out of line with this is the process and this is the way it works and so we'll just stick to that. 
And that's not how to innovate. And we're not being taught in business how to innovate at all, but we're being taught in creative arts how to innovate. Mm. And so if you translate those skills, so if we train everybody in creative arts when they're kids and mm. keep that as a really important part, get everybody to you know, do some creative writing and do all this stuff, which I know they do a little bit in schools, but we've got to codify it and say, this is really, really important mm. and not demonise people that, that say, I'm just going to, be an art, I'm going to do an arts degree. Because an arts degree is, is fabulous. It, can be fabulous. It's just about giving it the value and understanding where you can plug the benefits of learning like that into any area of business. Mm, I know in the, in the States, to be a lawyer, you have to do a human, hum, human you know, uh, yep. arts degree, humanitarian arts degree or whatever it is. What's that called? Just a, a basic arts degree. You need, you need to have that humanities underneath. underneath so that you know where you fit in with society. Yeah, and it's, it's really, a really important part. Okay, we're going to put you in the Career Sorry. Conversations podcast time machine. Yeah, okay. We're going to rewind the clock to 20-year-old Brian. Yes. If you could uh, give yourself advice 20 years or 20-year-old ago. Yes. Given what you know now, what would you do? What advice would you give yourself? Um, I would say that and be confident in what you're doing and have have some tenacity. I was lazy. I was yeah, just okay. super lazy when I, especially, well, if I went back to an 18 year old Brian, straight out of school, I was moved into Bondi, I was living in Sydney, I was a musician, I didn't join a band, I didn't play much, I just went and got drunk and I was, and just looking back now, like 84 in Sydney, anyone could have been a pop star. I yeah, could have wow. done that. Like, listen to the music that came out then, I could have wrote that <laughs> crap. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> I think being aware that... You just didn't knock down the doors. You just thought it was going to come. Yeah, yeah, nothing comes. You've got to to take advantage of and push to get where you want to go and take advantage of opportunities that come up. And I I didn't. And, Mm. you know, so that's why I'm not the rock star that I should have been. Because you look at those people, they work hard at it. They work bloody hard. So, um, and for very little to start with. And I just didn't have the... Wherewithal or yeah, the tenacity. Yeah, it's like most, isn't it? It's a long burn. It's a long burn. There's very, very few overnight successes. And okay. if they are, they've usually been going at it 15 years. That's right. That's right. So maybe 20 years to become an overnight success. Yeah. It's, and it's so true. And it's, I, I think, and, and all those experiences you have early on, they do form you and you, you have regrets and you look back and, you know, and think, I could have done that better but I've ended up here. And so long as you learn from it, you're going to make mistakes. That's the yep. other thing I'd tell my 20, you're going to make some real, real botch ups. And um, it's best to realise it and listen to yourself and learn from it. Learn them. from it, That's mate. just yeah, so important. Okay. What's next? Um, what's next? It's uh, a very good question. I'm going to continue uh, building um, or just continue running my business the proverbials to make sure I'm doing good work for my clients and yep. um, doing working on projects a, a good amount of projects that I feel that are important I think that's good they'll always be the ones that you know and I've got a good of good relationship with so many people and they work on so many various accounts and um, clients and areas and industries and I find that all fascinating so yeah. I do enjoy you know working in finance you know um education and environments and um you know and and retail can be really wow it's it, it opens you all up and every every idea you can get or every 
every um, influence you can you can pull in. But it, it's all about working with people as well. And mm -hmm. I really, I think that's yeah, the... Yeah, we're setting up that collaborative model. That's pretty important to you. I really, really enjoy the people I work with and I really enjoy that interaction and what you can come up with is in a, in a, in a group situation like, you know, filmmaking. As I said, the Hollywood model of you bring in the right people like they do for films for the right roles for yep. that project. And, and once you get those right people in place, then a project is just magic and it's, and it's great fun working on it. You're so. seeing to the converted. You're sitting opposite a recruitment guy. <laughs> <laughs> Putting people in the right spots. It's absolutely. critical. Absolutely. It's like casting a you know, good, good yep. play or something like that. You get the right people and it all takes care of itself. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Brian, and uh, we wish you all well. Thanks, Craig. Cheers. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed that career conversation with Brian Daly, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. If you'd like to learn more about how you can make more of your career, then please start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. You can find us via the web at www.hrgroup.com.au and you can always find the podcast there. They're housed at SoundCloud. You can always find them at Apple in the podcast sections. Just search Career Conversations. If you'd like to learn more about Brian, you can find him under Brian Daly at his LinkedIn account and there's more info at the podcast section of our website with his details. Thanks again for joining us here at the Career Conversations podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Craig McGregor.